for May 18th, 2009. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 46, Institutionalized. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm your host, Matthew Rather. And uh, because people seem to be so, um, people seem to be so, uh, you know, gung-ho on the old ways of doing things, I thought I'd bring back the cracked out surfer voice. All right. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Awesome. Outstanding! Uh, I am your host, Matthew Rather. We are from OverthinkingIt.com, and we are here tonight to uh, to cast the pod far, far away from us. Uh, and we begin every night with our question. Now, uh, many, many uh, schools are graduating around this time of year. There are ceremonies, pomp and circumstances played, except at our alma mater, uh, where it's like British 8 or something. I forget exactly what it is. Uh, and um, so, you know, in honor of this, we want to ask the panel tonight, what is your favorite uh, college movie? What is your favorite college movie? So we go always in alphabetical order, and let us start with Peter Fenzel. Hey! How's it going, Crazy Surfer Dude? Hey, Peter Fenzel coming at us from picturesque Somerville, Massachusetts! No, I'm in Cambridge today, man. I'm in Cambridge today. Oh, really? I live in Cambridge now. I moved out of Somerville like a year ago. Oh, really? Yeah, I I was in Somerville just an hour ago. I've never... Yeah, I've never been to where you live now. You you know, there's probably a reason for that. We actually only (laughs) seem to... We only seem to see each other in places that are not our homes. That's true. That's true. That's true. Definitely. Isn't that odd? Um, so I'm going to go a little bit retro, and I'm going to say, in response to your question, copy that. And that's, that's OTI <laughs> podcast. Come on, copy Pete, that. We don't have enough time for that. There, there's no time. There's no time for that right now. It's the only lead we've got. Uh, no, my, my, favorite, my favorite college movie is definitely uh, PCU. Cockman um, Oppressor. I love PCU. Cockman um, Oppressor. <laughs> in fact, when I heard about this question, I was like, well, isn't that what everyone's going to answer? Uh, apparently, everyone else has different answers, which boggles my mind because PCU is so freaking good and so freaking dead on. Maybe it's just that I went to college in, uh, at an over-intellectualized school in Connecticut, but I suspect that it's that the movie is, in fact, awesome. And it took everybody a long time to catch on with how good Jeremy Piven is, but they did eventually. So if you love Entourage and you've never seen PCU, you should watch PCU because Jeremy Piven does a great job in it. Um, it's about, if you've never seen it, uh, a college in Connecticut, where everybody is kind of possessed with this spirit of political correctness, and there's a very classic, you know, dean versus the uh, the the house that's all like you know frat house kind of thing, and they're breaking all the rules, and it's through the eyes of a prefosh who is experiencing college for the first time, and it has this really sort of um, sort of Kafka esque thing about it, but also is very funny and has a real heart and is very sweet. Um, Runner up for me is uh, Necessary Roughness, but that I'm going to save that for when we talk about best sports movie. Uh, <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll pass on that for now. So, uh, Mr. Mark, and coming in from New York, New York, the capital of everything, it's Mark Lee. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> oh, okay, I just am like, okay, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> As I'm, I'm gonna do it again. <sighs> oh. Okay. <laughs> Is that you being all 80s? Uh, yeah, the match rather's level of cocaine ness. 
Oh, okay, okay. Anyway, Fair enough. Speaking, hey, speaking of Jeremy Piven, um, he was in another great college movie, which is my personal favorite, Old School. Interestingly, Ooh. Jeremy Piven goes from the uh, from the, the the slacker frat boy to the oppressor of the slacker frat boy in Old School. Mm. But that's not my main, main reason why I like this movie. What's my favorite college movie? Um, there's a couple of reasons. One is because it really glorifies that uh, you know completely. Um, balls out frat experience, which none of, well, uh, for the most part, I would say I didn't really experience. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, but the, the real reason why I like it is because it, it really kind of poignantly touches on, um, you know, the lives of these men who are, you know, reliving their old school. Hold on. College. Our college experience was pretty balls out. It was well, yeah, but literally, Matt. This one was literally, literally. <laughs> my balls were. I got picked up for indecent exposure five or six times in school. <laughs> really? No, no, it was a joke. <laughs> I, uh, I said it for the purpose of the pot. Oh God, sorry. Accept and justify. Yes, uh, I did. It's part of my religion. To uh, it's part Except of my religion. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that, isn't yes, that the uh, isn't that the the you know improv credo right? Like you say yes and you figure out a reason why it is so. Oh well, we always say that you say yes and then you add something. It doesn't necessarily have to be a justification, um, but you know if that, that's your technique, if that's what you like to do, I don't, I don't know. There's more than one improviser on this phone right now, so I won't be the sole opinion on this. Comedy uh, when we roll. Okay. Whoa, 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 before, <laughs> we, before we segue so smoothly. Sorry, Mark, I, I, I interrupted you into the... Oh, another chapter that Pete Fenzel accidentally being mean to Mark Lee on the podcast. I'm sorry, man. That's cool. Um, but yeah, so the reason why I like Old School is it very poignantly, you know, it shows the, um, the, how these, 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 uh, these middle-aged men, how their lives haven't quite turned out what they wanted it to be, and they recapture some of their glory days, you know, through, by establishing their own frat. Um, and, um, you know, not to... Not to say that you know my life is that unfulfilling, but I think a lot of people can relate to that in terms of the just the carefreeness and the spontaneity of college life is something that you can never really fully reclaim, and that we get to live vicariously that through you know Frank the Tank and um, you know tying penises to cinder blocks and and then throwing them off of a roof. That I think is a great thing. Frank the Tank. <laughs> right the tank. You know, there are so many movies where people later in life or in middle age or in early middle age or whatever uh, seem to seem to realize that their life has been a total waste. And my question is, why has this not inspired more people to change their lives, you know, and to do more awesome shit like buying convertibles or tying their penises to cinder blocks or what have you? Or like get dying and getting resurrected by electricity, so they constantly have to get jolted by electricity in order to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, it's, right, exactly. Like, uh, you know, Crank is really the story of a midlife crisis. It really, Crank too, well, the story it really of the is. Half of that midlife crisis. You know, I think the the epigraph from uh, you know the the opening of the Inferno. You know, like when I was in the middle of my life, I found myself in a dark wood with you know. Uh, that, I think that that epigraph that flashes up on the screen subliminally right at the beginning really sets the scene there. I think my favorite movie that tackles that whole question, both about what do you do when you take action and what does you do when you don't take action, has got to be Network. I love that movie. Oh, man. It's, they got that whole plot with like, the guy having the May September romance who's trying to change his life and like his wife is all mad at him. And I don't know. Have you guys seen that movie? Have you guys seen Network? Nope. Yes. No? You should see Network. It's, it's, I, I mean, have. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really great. 
it's still quite relevant, even though a lot of it is dated. Um, and in it, Robert Duvall is young and Faye Dunaway is hot. So <laughs> take it for what it is. That's amazing. I know. Hey, remember that time when you called Mark a racist? What, me? <laughs> that was a great Parrish podcast. Parrish the Parrish the Thought. Parrish the thought. Oh. Oh. Our next panelist, John Parrish, calling in from Bean Town. Are you in Cambridge too, John? Yes, I am. Ah, ah smart kids. Hey, Will, let's go beat up some smart kids. Oh, okay. Do you, do you, <laughs> do you, do you beat up the smart kids? No, he is the smart kids. No, 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 I don't. That's a that's a that's a good point. He is the smart. Actually, kid. Uh, sorry, I, I really need to accept and justify that one, didn't I? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> because they're smart. Yeah, and that really smart. pisses me off. I, 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 I feel, in, I feel inferior with their edumacations. You just got to say yes, and you know. Yes. Uh, so, um, favorite college movie. Favorite college movie, Real Genius. Uh, young Val Kilmer. But, uh, what, mo- but what movie? <laughs> hey Hey, what does a yellow light? What does a yellow light mean? Slow down. What? Duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these these classic jokes is that. Uh, yeah, real genius. Uh, you know, Val, young Val Kilmer, uh, William Atherton, and his classic '80s role of just just being a, a dick and institutional authority. Uh, and yeah, I I I really liked Real Genius because, as as Mark was saying, you know, about old school sort of typifying that balls out frat lifestyle. Everyone everyone wishes they had. Real Genius typified that. Uh, is typified a word? Oh yeah, sure. Okay, cool. I want to make sure I made that up. Uh, typified that sort of playground for for smart kids uh, fantasy that that I think we all wish college was. Like you know, college is a place without any rules, but you know it's full of really smart kids who use their incredible mental powers to you know turn hallways full uh, turn hallways into ice skating rinks and you know create lasers that make parties happen and, and things like that. So it's 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 really a perfect blending of that. That frat school escapism with that reward for genius that I, I suspect most of the uh, panelists on this podcast uh, longed for. Mm. I don't know. Like I was I was happy, you know, we we liberated a projector from the school and we hooked it up to the N64 and played Mario Kart really, <laughs> really big on the wall of our friend's apartment. That's pretty, see that's pretty awesome. It was it was actually Belinky's apartment, believe it or not. So we would you know we would go there, and uh, then eventually even that became too much effort. So we put the projector on the ground, pointing up at the ceiling, so that we could lay uh, supine and uh, play Mario Kart on the ceiling. That's an even better idea, actually. God, okay. Like, Remember right before Thanksgiving break one year, and we had a week-long Thanksgiving break, um, Josh and me, and I think it was Lauren, because uh, they were dating at the time, maybe one other person, uh, might have been Matt, uh, Blinky, stayed up and watched like 14 hours straight of movies, and it was like Stargate and Independence Day and like an entire trilogy of like, uh, I think we watched, oh, we watched Alien, Aliens, and Alien 3 all in a row. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, that's another thing that was great about about college is... 
uh, having the time and lack of responsibilities that allows you to do movie marathons like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my senior year, one of my crowning achievements was uh, the Terminator marathon that I did. Mm. It was about, you know, however many hours it took of straight sitting of watching one, two, and three in a row. And the interesting thing about well, that... three was well, on DVD by then? Yeah, yeah. The interesting, the interesting thing about that, no, obviously I'm not going to talk too much about Terminator because that'll have to wait for another day, um, is that uh, the, the, the screening that attracted the most people was the third one. The worst one of them, in other words. Which I suspect a lot of people neglected to see in the theaters, which is why they came out to see that one. Sure, yeah. yeah they also yeah, they, they just don't have like, the they don't have the dedication to the cause that you have. That's right. No fate but what we make. No fate. <laughs> Sorry, John, I stomped on you there. No, I was I was just it wouldn't really work on the podcast because I was doing neglected in scare quotes because as Mark said, neglected to see the third one in theaters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As if well, he's I, yeah. for responsibility of some sort. Yeah, the, the, implica- the implication being that, oh, I just forgot to see it. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I kept meaning to. Yeah. I had to do laundry that one weekend. So- or no, yeah, yeah. I just I ignored my responsibility, <laughs> too. You know, it's, it's not even like it slipped my mind or I just didn't do it. I just, uh, you know, I was negligent. Well, I'm going to answer. I don't usually because my answers are never as good as everyone else's. But uh, though my my first runner up is Drumline. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Uh, good choice. Good call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, what I'm going to take as kind of a non traditional pick here is the latter seasons of Dawson's Creek. That's not a movie. As the well, yeah, it's a it's a. It's a cinematic, it's a filmic achievement, though. It's right, a, right. you know, yeah. a video achievement. And here's why. Uh, because every, every little thing that happens um, is taken either as a referendum on someone's morals or else a life lesson to be learned. <laughs> you know? And that, like, um, that uh, college is like a very necessary growth experience in the narrative of those latter seasons of Dawson's Creek, but it has absolutely nothing to do with the content of anybody's education. It is entirely down to, you know, uh, whether to cheat or not in the abstract, right? Right, right. Or whether to, you know, I don't know, uh, like you know, I don't know, choosing an ethnically diverse lab partner or something. I, I forget, actually, but honestly. not actually doing any experiments. Just, right. like, picking a lab partner for no conceivable reason because yeah, no, you have it's to like, stand. Yeah, it's like, once you've gotten, it's like once you have the lab partner, biology ceases to be useful to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, or, like, well, uh, okay. or, you know, loosening up, being less uptight. That was a, that was a big one because the Katie Holmes character was, you know, uptight about everything, right? Like, and so she got uh, Busy Phillips, who was, the, who was the blonde pregnant landlord on Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh, she was uh, Katie Holmes's college roommate in Dawson's Creek, and so um, uh, yeah. Oh, and she took her out to parties because she just had to loosen up and find herself a little bit. Well, I suppose that makes for more interesting storytelling because academics. I mean, if, if you if you're framing a, a film or TV story in terms of you know what choices the character is going to make, academics don't offer don't offer a lot of choices. I mean, I, I guess in a, a very dull sense of, you know, should I study for this or should I study harder for this? But, you know, if the choice is between should I study for this or should I go out and party and say become less uptight, then it becomes about something other than the academics. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, or yeah, should totally... I, you know, should I specialize okay. in late 14th century devotional poetry, or should I specialize in, you know, late 15th the... century devotional yeah, poetry, or the, the Victorian novel, or something like that? Those are the kinds of questions that confront us in academia, and they are non, they are non-moral, you know. There should totally right. be an episode about trying to figure out the three things about Toni Morrison that you're going to remember for your midterm exam. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, should I remember how she talks about generations? Should I remember how she talks about race? That's a good one. And it's just like the, 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 the mental process of coming up with just enough information to pass an exam. You know, I'm no English major, but I'm going to go with race on that yeah, one. Yeah, that's probably a good one. <laughs> I actually, I took a class once, and they gave us an option of writing an essay about race in The Great Gatsby, or about like the like uh, form, formalism and modern poetry. And I was taking that class with my friend Raf, and he was like, Fenzel, you got to write about Gatsby and race. Everyone else in the class is going to do it. And I was like, no, I don't want to write about that bullshit. And I'm going to write about this like modern poetry question. And my teacher gave me a C minus. Because, and I kid you not, she said I did not quote enough. Um, because she basically seemed like the purpose of the, of, this was like an intro survey. It was a survey class I was taking as a senior just to sort of like read some fun American books. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and she was like, yeah, you know, you didn't quote enough. And she wasn't, she was a div, div student who was TAing the class. And, uh, oh, and oh, it, that's like, awful. I didn't, I didn't prove in my essay that I'd read the books was basically what the main criticism was. So I got right. back at her by the next essay I wrote. I just like went through the wasteland and underlined every time they said water and then just listed them. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got an A and I was told that it read just like the wasteland. This is great. <laughs> wow. uh, so, yeah. at, the risk of, at the risk of sounding ignorant, I, I, what, what would you say about race in, in The Great Gas? Because – I mean, it's been years since I read it, but I don't recall there being non-white people in the... Oh, or, or, or no, wait, there was... I mean, there was the, the Jewish mobster, but there's... Yeah, I think there's, like, a Chinese guy or something. I, I mean, I haven't read The Great Gatsby in a long time. Um, I did in read fact, it you didn't even class. you didn't even read it th- that year, did you? No, I didn't read it that year. I read it, like, two or three <laughs> times before then, still remembered it. But this was, like, six years ago. So um, I've never read it, and I'm offended. <laughs> Just because oh yeah. really was that was that the book <laughs> Fencil, was that your book I mean I, you know as a fellow English major was there a book that came up like five times in the course of your education Oh for me that was much ado about nothing I read much <laughs> about- yeah so, sure uh, fair enough yeah it makes yeah, perfect yeah, sense yeah, yeah. for me that for me that was uh, the rise of Styles Lapham by uh, William Dean Howells I, I wrote got at least five separate papers on that on a couple different in a couple different classes uh, for my English degree. I wrote two different papers on the same 18 lines in The Fairy Queen. But for me, the book that came up over and over and over was uh, Milton's Paradise Lost, the unsurpassed and unsurpassable pinnacle of literature (laughs) in any language. (laughs) All three of you guys were English majors? I was, yeah. Yeah, English and economics, but yeah. Oh, my gosh. See, Parrish Parrish at least has something, you know, uh, has a soft science in there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the the ghetto sciences like econ. <laughs> we call those group threes. <laughs> this is actually this is something into, that might be interesting to talk about, right? Because it's we we presume to draw distinctions between. Uh, people and to sort of draw conclusions about ourselves based on what based on what we studied in college, or rather based on the bureaucratic divisions in the academy, and that 
I think is not. I think that's unwise from a no, from a number of perspectives to say that like, well, these are humanities people, you know. Uh, these are sciences people. Like I, you know, I was an English major in college, but as a uh, you know, as a profession, I do professional acting, and I also and I, to make money, I program computers, right? So like, uh, you know, draw conclusions on uh, based on my college education from that. Sure. Yeah, to yeah. be clear, when I was like going like, oh, when I found that all three of you were English majors, that was not like, you know, that was there was no actual judgment. Being passed there, and then was there just- was that podcast when Lee was racist against English majors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm a history major. I mean, the people say the same shit about history majors that they do about English majors, right? Well, history, really? what do you do with that? I always thought that history was sort of the master discipline, right? Don't uh, you? I uh, mean, don't you think of like the? Uh, don't you? Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an elitist, and so I think in terms of elites, but uh, and a pretentious elitist apparently, but um. Uh, don't you think that there there is probably like one discipline that kind of contains all the others? And I, I heard someone once. Oh, Tom Wolfe. I heard a talk where Tom Wolfe once argued that it was sociology, and I thought uh, that I thought that was bullshit. But way uh, around where it like tries to incorporate all of the others. Sure, but like, isn't like, isn't history? You know, everything in in essence, almost anything is the history, and almost anything you study is the history of that thing. Because all knowledge is based on something that somebody thought about or has talked about in the past, right? Right, and that the development – I mean that the development of an idea – this is – I mean I think it's a major weakness to, to – uh, I think it's a major weakness in a lot of education to think about things synchronically as though you know, the system of ideas as it exists today is how it formed fully – how it sprung fully formed from the head of Zeus, I was, I, you know, I was once at, um, I was once at like a backyard barbecue and I'm always just fucking up socially at backyard barbecues, uh, with a guy who was a, uh, oh, like a financial advisor, quote unquote financial advisor. That means, that means insurance salesman, but I, you know, they, they, it says a lot about. For the record, this podcast has nothing to do with my job. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. It has, it has, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to talk about financial advice. The guy was an, an, guy was an insurance salesman and, and, uh, uh, but, uh, but no, I mean, I think that the fact that, that someone like that calls himself a financial advisor is, um, uh, you know, says a lot about middle class pretensions actually but never mind moving right along uh he was talking about um oh uh insurance being an insurance salesman and uh talked about these things and someone's like well, why do you know someone was amazed that he knew all these statistics statistical models for things it's like why why do you know all these statistical models and i i remarked that well that's not surprising statistics was invented by the insurance industry you know mm. the, the the discipline of statistics was developed by insurance actuaries and uh and the guy was like, <laughs> that's so funny. I never heard that in business school. Statistics comes from the insurance industry. Uh, tell me another one. And I was like. He thought you were joking. Yeah, he thought I was joking. And I was like, excuse me, I need to go get another domestic beer in a can from the refrigerator. <laughs> that's kind of beer. <laughs> that's the place. Especially if it comes from a garage refrigerator. <laughs> well, there's a there's a beer refrigerator in the garage. 
Exactly. Any, anyway, like, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to, like, just showcase my elitism. You know, I'm sure he was a very nice, <laughs> hardworking person. I, I, I always end up doing that, though, don't I? Uh, whether intentionally or not. But I think, I, that think- that, I think that that idea that, like, you know, the ideas that you have... Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I find this a lot in grad students that like, you know, well, yeah, no, in my discipline, there have been these intellectual movements now, but they were all wrong. And the intellectual movement that I'm a part of is right. Well, yeah, sure. Of course. You know, that, that like, can <laughs> you, you know, pick a wrong one to follow? Would you? Why would you do that? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I, you, God, you'd think that like graduate education would, would, you know, allow you to think at a slightly higher level of abstraction that like, hey, you know, maybe even my thoughts are not the end-all and be-all of uh, human inquiry. I don't know. I always thought mine were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't, isn't even it's the, true. You know, that second Dragon Ball article was like, really? <laughs> and isn't even that detached level of abstract, you know, oh, I, I admit all, you know, all theories of the truth may be suspect. Isn't even that level of detachment sort of an attempt at a theory of truth? I think so. I think it's a little half-assed. <laughs> well, yes, like, which is why it comes from grad school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of places in disciplines where people kind of agree to disagree where they don't necessarily have to, right? Um, I mean, you have to be able to to ascertain the differences between these things. But I think that especially when we come to it and you've got like one professor in charge of one thing, one professor in charge of another thing, they're all distinct. Um, from us, it seems synchronic, meaning like it all exists within the same moment. There's no history to it. It all happened at the same time. Um, and, and so like we can't make bridges. Like we can't really say, well, you know, this school of philosophy is bullshit compared to this other school of philosophy, which is clearly better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're not allowed to say that, but I think we could. People could benefit from doing more of that sort of thing. Um, you know, from challenging. And I mean, I'm not one of those people that really thinks that you have to say, "Well, there's two sides to every story," because there's not. That's like an abstraction. There's that's an unnecessary kind of application of the dialectic. There's not two sides to every story. There's a lot of different ways to tell it. No, yeah, yeah. In, ma- in many cases, one thing is right and one thing is wrong. Yeah. And people could, what I'm basically saying is people could do more to be more specific about the relationships between different kinds of thinking. It's not that they all exist and coexist and intermingle, like sort of parallel to each other and never like crisscross. But a lot of the times there are really specific reasons why two different ways of thinking can be valid, right? Because there's, you're working for different premises or there's different, there's unknowns that you have to work around. But I think it's better to acknowledge why they have to coexist or do coexist or maybe can't versus just sort of assuming that it's always okay, right? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's not enough to say Terminator 3 – actually, I shouldn't talk about Terminator because Terminator is next week. But it's not good enough to say that Highlander 2 <laughs> doesn't exist in the same universe as the other Highlander movies, right? <laughs> Highlander 2 has crazy aliens. And I can't just say, well, that's okay because we all have different belief systems and some people <laughs> believe in Highlander 2. Because, first of all, nobody believes in Highlander 2. But second of all, because there are specific reasons why Highlander 2 is different from all the other Highlanders. And it's because it – the ones that were after it thought it was terrible, and they changed, right? And like, you know, there's a validity invalidity question. You well, get the right. canonicity, and like, how do you uh, dis- how do you dispose of, of authority in terms of knowledge? And you know, that's something that you can hash out a lot. No, there's Pete. I think that there's a. Um, I mean, I think there is a, a place where the application of that kind of strategy is the de- the deployment of that kind of assertion. Like, well, you know, people 
just think differently about these things uh, where it's appropriate. And like religion is one. That's just courtesy. That's just like trying trying not to invalidate other people's like ways of living and just trying to be nice to your neighbors. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that there are places where we have to do that in order to just get get along, right? In order to get through the day. But I think that that kind of thing gets gets. uh, Well, I think two things. One that usually people. People can say that so that they don't have to really understand anything very specific about anyone else's religion or indeed their own. Right, right, and, right. And uh, was I using letters or numbers? And uh, and beta B two, <laughs> uh, that kind of that kind of rhetorical move gets uh, applied to a lot of things where it's not appropriate. Like for example, uh, questions of fact, right, or questions of scholarship where where there is an answer and it's not a question of well, hey, okay, you know, it's okay if you believe that, you know, The Wasteland was published in 1931 and I think it was published in 1921 because uh, we all we, – everyone believes differently about things. <laughs> Moon landing was faked. September <laughs> 11th was an inside job. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. And like uh, – well, I guess the, these things in those particular cases uh, – it's you know don't argue with the the principle at work is don't argue with a crazy person. And by the way, if you want to go on our comments thread and have an argument about whether the moon landing was faked or whether September 11th uh, was an inside job, please, I please will, don't do that latter one. No, no, just please. Do it, I mean, but, but if you do it, you have to invite ten friends, and they have to invite ten friends, and you all have to get into the argument because just we don't want just you fouling up our comments thread. You gotta, you gotta give us a little bit of quid pro quo here. Click on some of the links, you know. Right? Yeah, yeah. Click it. some ads. Would it would it kill you to click <laughs> some ads? Are you supposed to make about? Like, about Ron Paul, you have to click an ad. The quid pro quo is that if you um, if you get ten friends to join the comment thread, then your crush will like you. That we grant you that to that's you. True. That's, that's true. That's true. I can't offer that. Your crush will not like you. Yeah, I thought the crush was for listening to the podcast, or was that for commenting on the? It applies the to pretty much everything related yeah. to over and publicizing. Yeah, we're, we're really tapped into the crush network here, and we we will throw all those resources at your disposal if you only comment or subscribe or do the survey or write a guest post or really anything. Yeah. So basically I'm going to up it. I'm going to say that like, okay, if you're writing about the moon landing being fake, then you have to bring a hundred friends or your crush isn't going to like you. <laughs> I'm up in the ante on that specific topic. Yeah. Otherwise 10, 10 people. That's fine. 10 people. Right. Exactly. A wish. Scroll down. Scroll down. <laughs> <laughs> Click three ads and then you can download your file. <laughs> All right, so we have to. Sorry about that. Excuse me. Uh, we have to get to reader, uh, reader feedback, and the Star Trek podcast surprise, surprise generated some reader feedback. Here is the first voicemail that we got. Hey, the podcast voicemail. My name is Nick, and uh, I'm in Orlando, Florida. I just want to make a comment or a observation, an observation about the Star Trek movie that I saw this weekend and was very excited about it. I saw it on the IMAX theater for one, which was phenomenal. But one little part, the first time, I think it's the first time they went to the Starship Enterprise ship, there was a forklift in the background and I guess it wasn't CGI, but the four wheels were turning and it wasn't moving and two of the wheels were turning in the opposite direction, like not in a proper way for the way that it was turning. Other than that one thing, I love the movie. And pretty much everything about it. 
Oh, the other thing was, uh, what's her name? Spock's mom is only uh, five years older than the character that plays Spock in real life. Strange. See you. And that was our uh, that was our first. I know exactly what he's talking about with the forklift. Okay, what is it? <laughs> Uh, it's it's yeah it's it's while you know they're still they're, they're still loading everyone aboard and it's I, I only I saw Star Trek for the first time last night and it's it's some point between the whole sequence of faking Kirk up aboard the ship and Spock ducking Uhura because he tried to assign her to a different ship and whatnot some point in between these two threads uh, we see a forklift with like these really big bubble tires loading something just out of the corner of our eye and it looks like the wheels. It looks like the wheels are turning contrary to the way it's moving. Like it, it looks like it's if this if this were a camera, I would say it looks like the forklift is panning, even though the wheels are rolling forward as if it should be moving forward. So it's moving. Uh, yeah, and and I I figure I I noted it at the time like huh. And is I it thought, just oh, okay. the is it just the forklift rims? You know, it could be. <laughs> It could be sitting on 22s, uh, in which case, you go Starfleet. Uh, we put a plasma injector in your port in a cell. We what, put what? a hot tub, hot tub in your tent forward. Whoa, damn. Uh, we know that you like green ladies, so we made a big painting of a green lady on the hood. <laughs> <laughs> I did the upholstery. My favorite guy in that show was always the guy who did the upholstery because he had nothing to talk about, but you got the distinct sense that he was the best at his job. <laughs> I just made the upholstery. He was Mexican. He like didn't talk much, but he, like he made a whole new upholstery, upholstery for all the cars. It was real nice. Yeah, his, like, this his, job, his job definitely required the most skill because it wasn't just applying gold to an existing surface. <laughs> <laughs> right, which can be done with a spray can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, thanks very much. What was that, Nick? Nick from Orlando. Nick from Orlando. Orlando. Thank you for listening. Uh, Uh, Always, and if you have anything to say, you can call at uh, 20ELOG01. That's 203-285-6401. Now, uh, Megan from Lombard uh, writes in, uh, I love the new track movie as well. I went into it thinking it was going to be another nemesis, but it surpassed my expectations. Heaven forfend, another nemesis. Sorry, that was not Megan. That was me. Uh, you can, <laughs> yeah, you said heaven forfend. You can tell I, because I of the the uh, change in diction there. Uh, <laughs> Megan continues. My my favorite was Carl Urban. His McCoy was almost on par with DeForest's. Uh, apparently, they're buddies. But I wasn't that taken with Simon Pegg. There were a few times where he dropped the accent, and I didn't really feel that he really encapsulated the role of Scotty. However, Pegg mm. wasn't in the movie very much, so it's a half-formed opinion. Blinky made a comment about everyone on the Enterprise being rookies and how uh, that doesn't cement the feeling of the ship being the flagship. And while agreeing with that, uh, thought I th- while agreeing with that thought, I think that before everyone went on to the ship, Tyler Perry's character uh, <laughs> said that the rest of the fleet was busy in another sector of the galaxy and couldn't get to Vulcan in time. Yeah, no, that's true. But I, we were just all laughing because Tyler Perry is in this movie. And, we were just <laughs> uh, and Megan says, Tyler Perry, whose role gave me a WTF moment. Yeah. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. wait, Tyler Perry is actually in the movie? Yes. He plays like the oh. king of the Federation or something. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that title is. He's basically and, uh, like... Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 
He's basically like Cornell West in the Matrix. Basically, he like sits behind the desk, like says bullshit. Yeah, and, and it's he's like, kind oh, of like important black guy. He is kind of like the new Cornell West, you know. Like, uh, I guess that's not at all. What are you talking about? Uh, People actually also, watch Tyler Perry's stuff. Tyler Perry is very popular. People know who he is. As opposed to, yeah, I guess no one really listened to Cornell West's hip hop album. No, no, no. Uh, also, I had a question for Rather. Why suddenly say the title at the beginning of the podcast? And this is from Megan from Lombard. Lombard where, Megan? Uh, podcast at overthinkingit.com. Let us know where you're from. Why? Uh, well, because we're constantly striving to improve every aspect uh, I think she's of the show. Illinois. That's my guess anyway. She's what? Sorry. Illinois is my guess. I might be wrong, but I'm guessing it's Illinois. <laughs> Just because that's the first thing that comes up in Google is a map th- of Lombard, Illinois. I think now I think that like Belinky's point about the flagship was why take the fanciest ship in the fleet and people it, uh, people it with you know totally untested rookies, right? The um, it, totally separate from the issue of uh, Starfleet being tied up. Wouldn't this ship uh, of any of all the ships have the most seasoned professionals on it? I guess the question is not whether it has those professionals on it during the events of the movie, because it's easy to justify why they're there during the events of the movie, because it did have it had Admiral Kane on, or you know Admiral Kane on it, right? So um, Admiral Pike. Pike, sorry. Um, so Admiral Pike, sorry. Why did I think it was Admiral Kane? Admiral Kane's from Battlestar Galactica. That's oh, right. Oh, there you go. Admiral Pike was on it uh, at first, Captain Pike. Um, but it's the question: Why do they let them keep the ship after the mission is over? Like, why don't they give it back to the people who were supposed to be running it in the first place who conceivably were not these folks? Right? Do you just, is it like once you put someone in there that's theirs, like for good, and like nobody else gets to try it out? Can you not make, is there like a union rule where you can't make personnel changes without like 90 days' notice? <laughs> there, are no, there are no unions in, in, uh, in, in Star Trek, the benevolent state is all of our union. Oh. <laughs> Well, who makes sure that I get paid for overtime in in, in the future? <laughs> <laughs> who jukes the stats, man? Who jukes the stats? <laughs> Juking the stats. Um, that's a Star Trek: The Baltimore Generation reference. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, these are good questions. These are all good questions and and uh, good concerns. I think that it is true that um, Simon Pegg's Scotty character was a little bit half cocked. Like it was good, yeah, you know. I, was, mean, it, I don't know. I I don't know about Simon Pegg dropping the accent. I mean, the man is actually from Great Britain, right? Well, I mean, not Scotland, right? Or is he? I guess I don't know. Someone he's, he's not from Scotland. Oh, no. well, there yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, it's, but it's they just all more talk like funny. They all have the funny talk over there. But he's he's like a he's a comic relief character. He's not given a particularly fully formed naturalistic sort of series of things to do. Right, his character is mostly there for for sight gags. No, it's right? true. The um, yeah. I, I think that the apotheosis of Scotty as a fully formed dramatic character was the Next Generation episode Relics, which we have like cited on our blog multiple times in one post by accident. <laughs> when we both used when uh, Blink and I both used the shot the uh, clip from Relics in our uh, sound effects. Yeah, him uh, for the him for the sonar sound of the. Uh... Uh, of the Enterprise NCC-1701, and you for the, what, the, the TNG transporter sound. The difference between the two transporter noises, yeah. That was so. great. I, that's a great episode for that, because, yeah, you get the old transporter, and you get the old bridge, and yeah. you get the new, the new bridge and new transporter. Yeah, Scotty doesn't get a lot of character development before that, and even in any of the movies, really. Um, 
Plus, there's that whole thing where he goes from being sort of skinny Scotty to being fat mustachioed Scotty. And, <laughs> like, when does that happen? Like, did that happen? Like, is he – does anyone remember – is he skinny or fat in like, Star Trek The Motion Picture? I think he's fat by the time Wrath of Khan rolls around. I, I, was looking, I was watching Wrath of Khan the other day, and he's not like – the balloon that he is in the uh, in the relics next generation episode. Oh, so he like go. He's at a halfway point, but does he have a stash? Is he rocking the stash? He's rocking the stash, definitely. He looks good. He didn't rock the stash in the original series, right? No, no he was not. he was clean shaven. Yeah, yeah. So in fact, point- there was no there was no facial hair in space. Uh, kind of more like the military in that respect. Mm-hmm. That's true. None of the people on the ship. Well, I'm sure that there were some exceptions. Well, evil Spock. You, you're evil if you had facial hair. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess the Klingons had facial hair. That's that's true. Yeah, I, it was a sign of evil. In, in defense of uh, Simon Pegg's Scotty character, um, don't forget that you know. Well, he, he served a couple of important purposes. One is, I think he, you know, at least he delivered one of the classic lines, right? Something on the lines of "She cannot take it anymore, Captain." Right? Mm-hmm. He did do that, right? And the other uh, thing is that yeah, like, like I'm, I'm giving her all she's got. Right, yeah, right, exactly. Right. That's, that's the other it. important thing he does. Remember is that you know he he saves the day at the very end by I think jettisoning the warp core into the singularity so that Enterprise right. can escape. How do they get home? <laughs> uh, momentum. Momentum. Triple A. Okay. Triple A. Triple A. They call triple A. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think the that exceeding, um, yeah the exceedingly low coefficient of friction in the vacuum of space. Yeah. I think his role is kind of to be a representative of the audience. And to be the sort of outsider who comes into the ship and sees everything that's going on and gives you kind of like a, a sort of wry, sarcastic take on it a little bit, right? Well, in a way, though, almost everyone is an outsider, right? Because we have Kirk coming into Starfleet for the first time, and so we see all these, uh, you know, all these puffed-up military guys through his eyes. Uh, there are a couple. There are a couple ways that role is filled, right? I'm trying to think of other examples of that where somebody casts a role that has like a strong, uh, a strong association with it, but they forego it just to go with the typecasting of the actor. Um, like something like you put like Al Pacino in your movie playing a particular character, but rather than being that character, he's just Al Pacino, and that's like the purpose of him being there. Well, isn't, that, isn't that what Al, Al Pacino does these days? Yeah. I think some good examples of that are like whenever Ernest Borgnine is in a movie, he's kind of like that. Or I think there's a couple of instances in movies like The Longest Day or uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told, those like huge movies where there's like 30 guys in them and like John Wayne is in them. And like there's all these like character actors who are like popping up, just basically playing themselves but with a war helmet on, um, like fighting the Krauts or like with another war helmet on, stabbing Jesus, um, one or the other. There's Christopher Walken in pretty much anything. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he these he, days he it's true. Yeah, yeah. But even more than that, I mean, I'm not talking about, like, self-parody. Um, like, Simon Pegg is not there to parody himself. He's there just to, like, to be a character who is kind of likable and fun. And it isn't – the director is taking a moment and the actor is taking a moment to not uphold the reality of the movie for the sake of entertainment, right? To, like, let it lapse, let you just sort of have a moment with this funny guy and then get back to the regular movie. I don't know. I, I thought that was going on at least a little bit, that he kind of was outside of the reality that the other Star Trek actors were in. He seemed it, to be- is a, it is a little weird because he's totally in this other environment, right? Well, yeah. as all the action is happening on the bridge, he's down there and you don't ever see a bunch of uh, people with him. Right. And he's the guy with the cute alien buddy and that's not something anybody else has and um, all that stuff. Uh, seem- I think Kirk had a cute alien buddy. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I have to say that cute alien buddy was inching dangerously close to Jar Jar Binks' territory there. <laughs> it, was at least, it was at least 
you know, bringing back echoes and, 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 you know, awful memories. Yeah, but he's in like 30 seconds of the movie and didn't talk, whereas Jar Jar was in like half of that movie. (laughs) And and was an essential plot point in the second one. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And becomes a a senator, for Christ's sake. (laughs) (laughs) I have have a post coming up on the blog that's coming up this week on on, uh, Jar Jar Binks uh, around the... 10th anniversary of Star Wars Episode 1, but the Star Trek time, not Star Wars time. Let's not get our universes crossed. Star Trek time. Star Trek time. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, it's, you know, the, it's an important distinction that, like, Star Trek happens in the future uh, and it's about it's the... Perf- yeah. Star Wars happens a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And, right, like, Star Trek is about the perfectibility of man and Star Wars is about uh, the intransigent problems of man. Right. So, so Star Wars is about the problem and Star Trek is about the solution? <laughs> well, no, it just... Uh, I, I think Star Trek assumes there is there are solutions, right? Right, right. So uh, it's more like that Star Trek comes from a universe that sort of emerges from a consideration of first principles where things are more or less reasonable and logical. And Star Wars is from this like chaotic human nature kind of re- universe where the same, the same things cycle endlessly without much rhyme or reason. Um, and you can't really do anything to sort of think your way out of the role that you have in your life. Sort of an Edmund Burke way of looking at the universe. Speaking of uh, things that continue on, that cycle on endlessly, the Catholic Church <laughs> was featured uh, in this week's movie. Let me just confirm that none of us saw Angels and Demons, right? That's correct. I did not see that movie. Didn't see it. Correct. But is there anything to be said about the, uh, the portrayal of Catholicism in popular entertainment? I love vampire movies where nuns have super soakers. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> what? I saw one of those once. You never seen one of those? You ever seen on a movie? On the Sci-Fi like, Channel? Yeah, uh, it was on the Sci-Fi Channel. This was on like HBO late at night one time uh, where I was like, I'm going kind to of Google nun and super soaker. And see what <laughs> I- <laughs> uh, let the right nun in. No, that's not. <laughs> 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 no, I'm serious. There's a website. Which, by the way, I, I'm assuming is a reference to the excellent uh, Swedish horror movie that came out last year. Am I yes, correct? That's, let the right one yeah. in. That's correct. No, I yeah. definitely saw. I love movies where like people, can, like people combine uh, uh, like the the trappings of like Catholicism with um, like everyday objects and like like the Monster Squad and things like that, where you like sort of combine old school and new school. Um, and I did see a movie once where there were a bunch of nuns fighting vampires with like water guns full of holy water and stuff like that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I, it's you know, my father always used to say, "Hey, when the vampires and werewolves show up, what do you want to be? Episcopalian? Bah!" Uh, <laughs> which is Smart great because he, 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 he bases his religious affiliation on fictional things. Um, but you know, I don't want to go. I don't want to touch any of that stuff because that's a powder keg. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's basically like. So you got a couple ways of looking at it, right? So Catholicism is either portrayed in what? In like movies that talk about ethnic groups that happen to be Catholic, right? And then they usually are sort of affiliated with a certain sort of like dark kind of uh, down-home spun wisdom kind of situation, like like in Sleepers or in uh, um, any, any number of Irish movies where the church is sort of this presence in the community. Or, that's Latin, kind of, or Latino culture. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's that. Then there's the portrayal of it as like 
um, kind of like crazy evil, like in the Dan Brown stuff, right? Where it's like this uh, cabal that has like international reach and is like really uh, powerful and, and secretive and and corrupt. Um, and that that's also sort of like uh, the portrayal you get in like um, the the Marlon Brando Christopher Columbus movie, where he plays the the doesn't he play like the the Pope or something? Um, I don't know. And what about somebody else? Give another interpretation. But I basically say like there's like sort of you can ethnicize it, you can sort of demonize it, you can romanticize it, you know, or you can I guess what exercise it? <laughs> exercise. <laughs> Now, let me let me contextualize it a little bit in terms of because um, I think I might be I have to admit it I'm probably the only person on this podcast who's read both the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. Anyone else? That's almost correct. Think that? No, just, you you are that. Yeah. Okay. No. So I think uh, everybody you know uh, associates Dan Brown with the Da Vinci Code and it's kind of you know de- um, you know takedown as you will of the Catholic Church and describing it as a vast conspiracy and that sort of thing. I think I, it's been a while since I've read Angels and Demons. You know, I don't believe it or not, I don't you know go back and reference it every uh, every week. You know, it's my pleasure reading. Um, but really, because I, think- I do that with Paradise Lost uh, by John Milton, the unsurpassed and unsurpassable pinnacle of literature in any language. But not Twilight. <laughs> No, also Twilight and Twilight. the latter okay. seasons of Dawson's Creek. All right, just checking. Um, but I think, and you know, commenters correct me if I'm wrong, that the Angels and the Demons was less, far less of the you know Catholic Church as an evil cabal, and more of just like it's just used you know as um, a cinematic prop kind of you know it's 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 all background it's it's you know all all of the mystique and um, mystique and it's, you know good cinematic quality. Um, of you know the election of the Pope and all that kind of stuff that's is just you know played up and as is the backdrop for the other conspiracy going on oh okay. which just isn't really you know directly related to the Catholic Church being this massive monolithic evil organization but uh, I think that you know that kind of I guess if you had to categorize it one of the things Fenzel you laid out there probably is the romanticizing even though you know um you know the the, the church isn't really being romanticized in the traditional sense. It's being romanticized or, you know, at least being utilized and played up for its aesthetic and, and storytelling value, right? The, the ritual, the powerful visuals you have of the Vatican and of all the cardinals and everything in their robes. I mean, that is powerful imagery, right? Yeah. Right. And, and also, the Catholic Church, you know, has it's, – it's one of the few institutions in, in the Western world with 2,000 years of – more or less uninterrupted history. So that's a lot of convenient backstory that you can throw your your conspiracy plots into. As well as, you know, the, the rich history of things the Catholic Church actually has done, which are kind of weird and conspiratorial, like, you know, their actual persecution of the Knights Templars, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess in the same sense that, you know, Nazis make the perfect movie villains, because, you know, they're just Nazis. Uh, the Catholic Church makes the perfect movie conspiracy because they've been around for 2,000 years, and it's, it's pretty easy to believe most of what you ascribe to them. Well, and plus they're so visual. Everything is so visual. I think that's a big part of it. Is yeah, that, it's, extremely, you know, like they, it's extremely theatrical. Like when you the put M. Bison in a business suit, nobody buys it, like in the Chun-Li movie. <laughs> so if you, put, if, if you made M. Bison into a priest, right. I feel like it would have been much better because that then people would have thought, wow, that's crazy. But or also, better, yet, a, better yet, a cardinal. Yeah, if he had been like, if if M. Bison had been the Pope in that Chelsea movie, <laughs> or no, like, if he had hell? been, if he had been his his Eminence Bison, 
Yeah, if he had been, if he had been like Pope, Pope M. Bison II or whatever, like people would have thought it was ridiculously terrible, but they would have seen the movie. And as it is, they didn't see the movie because they just made him a random business guy. So, there's value to pageantry, you know, and and, spec- and uh, uh, spectacle. But it gets to, you know, when it comes to something that I, I see in movies a lot that annoys me, which is cheap stakes, like little shorthand ways of elevating the stakes that don't, oh, yeah. in fact, elevate the stakes because they don't make you care about the characters anymore. It's like just you, like, yeah. Oh, I was saying like when there's a prophecy that tells you that the events of the movie are going to transpire more or less as you expect. Right. Like that's supposed to raise the stakes, but all it does is beg the question of why these things happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I take the question correctly there in terms of creating a logical loop that that sort of requests a, a, you know an answer from its own question. Yeah, that's one. Did I do a, a Grammar Thursday post on that on that one? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did I? Yeah, no, no. You always that is actually you're you're the person who I think uses that the best of anyone I know. Uh, oh, thank you. And I've heard you refer on many questions, uh, on many occasions, to something as an exercise in question begging. Yeah, which is you – know? I do that a lot because I think we spend a lot of time question begging, which is like when you say can like – question? Hey, brother, brother can, can you spare a question to give me back to – you know, I just need a few <laughs> questions to get the bus back to Jersey. Yeah. Uh, can, can you spare a question? I'm, I'm begging for a question. Get it? Hey. Uh, well, here's a question right. for you. Um. Well, why why do you, why didn't you see the Dan Brown Angels and Demons if you like the book so much? I, I, I'm not going to quite say that I like the book. It was oh, okay. it was entertaining enough. I, the, the pages went by at a, at a at a rapid pace, as it were. Um, you know, <laughs> if somebody were dying, let's put it this way: if somebody were, when a friend of mine were dying to see the movie, and fortunately, none of my friends were dying were dying to see the movie because I hang out with such elite. Uh, you know, pop culture idiot savants who are way above that. Oh, but I if, wanted, I wanted to see it. I, you know, I don't. Oh, go on, Mark. I'll, I'll, I'll stick up for guilty pleasures later. Yeah, I would have considered something a guilty pleasure. You know, I would have been curious to see it. Probably because I think you know, and I think we should probably point out that you know, there's at least three of us on this podcast are, are Catholic um, to varying degrees of practicingness, um, and we still, you know, I think. And you know, one of these days, I'll get it right. <laughs> ah, man, we are we are we are slaying many beasts here with these Zing! jokes. Um, yeah, I think I, I was I, I would have seen it just because you know I'm drawn to those that, all those that visual, um, the Vatican, the power of that of the vat the visuals of the Vatican, um, were drawing to me. It's something that I, I want to see a drama around that. You know, the power of visuals certain, compels you. It does yeah. compel. it, from what I've heard, it probably deserves a, be- a better. You know, high drama than Angels and Demons turned out, um, but still, I would have liked to have seen it out of curiosity. I think that, like, I think that we should not be afraid of enjoying books like Angels and Demons, or you know, I like Twilight. You know, and I fully admit that ninety percent of it was really stupid, and then of what remained, five percent was ethically questionable at best. <laughs> Uh, wait, right. wait, wait, so what, what, is, what is your defense of Twilight again? Because we're at that, 95% now. <laughs> that I had fun reading them. You there know, you I, didn't mind, I didn't mind that they were stupid. Like, you know, it, it was a good... Pe- people seem to forget. I was, talking to, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about... Uh, she asked about 
different acting techniques, right? And it's all like any discipline. There are, there are a lot of schools of thought as to how it should be done. And they all are at war with each other all the time. And it's really pointless because shouldn't we just all get along and agree to disagree? Shouldn't we, Pete? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I'll agree to disagree with you if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so, right, and so there are all these little internecine wars about uh, ways of acting and, like, you know, how best to suffer on stage and, like, what the best ways for, you know, playing these scenes are. And, um, and my thing is, like, did someone forget along the way that we were supposed to be entertainers? You know, did someone right. forget along the way that, like, our job uh, in the entertainment business is to show people a good time? Like, and, and, and I think the artsy gets a little too fartsy some, sometimes. And I think that the, um, uh, you know, and I, and I think that, like, the point of a book like Twilight is that it, it captivates my attention for the amount of time that it requests to have my attention. Let me put it this way. Let me reference another po- podcast from a few weeks ago. I think it was the one where we had a sprawling debate over what is art. It was somebody uh, brought up the the quote from the the, the lead singer of Fish, Trainer Stagio, like what his regret was, right? And it was not writing a number one hit, right? Right. Yeah. In other words, like you know, you you go home and try to write Mambo Number no. Five. That's yeah. it's not easy to do. The you know, same thing goes for a novel. You try to write something that you know will sell you know millions of copies and is or not even sell millions of copies but just is a page turner in the sense that we all know what a page turner is right i don't know yeah, or, you like, guys. or like you know you can make a youtube video but like make something that involves a character that someone cares about right where someone gives a shit what happens you know it's not easy right yeah so dan brown he's doing something right right i mean i oh, could yeah, sit no, down I- and try to crank out a novel that um you know that um, approaches any of the uh, the qualitative standards that you would judge down Van Dan Brown novel line. I would come up short. No, I, I think that he's definitely doing stuff right. It's probably because you, you weren't an English major, Mark. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pete, Pete, Matthew, or I could crank one of those out in a week, and we just uh, <laughs> we we choose not to because. Uh, uh, we, what, what, what's no, the we, reason we, we choose not to, guys? We do it all the time. We just we just post them to fa- erotic fan fiction sites. Because <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> I don't want fifty million dollars like Dan Brown. You know, yeah. I'm an artist. I'm above that. I want, I suffer. I want Willow to be making out with Wesley. That's really all I want. <laughs> that is worth the fifty million dollars to me. Really? Because I want I want Willow to be making out with Counselor Troy. <laughs> I think we should have a contest. Who can write the best Willow Counselor Troy? <laughs> wait, wait, what Willow are you talking about? Sorry, I was talking about Willow Upgood, right? Willow Upgood, the mighty sorcerer midget. <laughs> oh no. no, no, I was talking about Allison Hannigan's character. I was talking from about Buffy. Allison Hannigan. I was talking about uh, Warwick Davis. Has someone done Willow on Willow? Slash fic, though. <laughs> oh, let's check the internet. I am Googling. Give me a second. Safe search is off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, for all of you who are graduating college, uh, you now have time to do things like read Dan Brown. You don't have to read 
uh, Milton, the unsurpassed and unsurpassable greatest work of literature, Paradise Lost in any language ever. Um, <laughs> but uh, do we have any other advice? Can we, uh, in closing, offer some advice to the recent graduates of the many colleges who have come out uh, and uh, now face the world uh, dewy-faced and blinking-eyed in the bright light of real life? Yeah, sure. I have some really important advice to all those graduates out there. Um, This is one thing that you really need to do that most of you are not going to do, and you're going to really suffer for it. Pick a day of the month, right? And on that day of the month, don't schedule anything. And that evening... Take all the mail that's been piling up on your table and open it. Go through it. See if anybody's asking you for money. And pay your bills. <laughs> like, seriously, pay your bills and pay them on time. Don't rack up credit card debt. It's the most important thing for early graduates to know, and it's the thing that they fuck up more frequently than anything else. Well, they're so. already they're, uh, they're addicted to credit in this destructive way by the time that they get out of college anyway because they're all on the you know they're all on the college campuses giving out the free t-shirts and the frisbees oh yeah yeah i mean whether or not you use credit is less of a concern it's much more of a concern of like become an active participant in like your own paying of your own bills (laughs) not like don't let other people tell you to do it for you You i I, I bank online doesn't doesn't that just do it for me uh sometimes but maybe not you got to be careful still open your mail don't leave it till tax time That's no good. <laughs> oh, Don't God. push your W-2s. All sorts of bad things happen. <laughs> but too soon? Am I the only one giving advice to grads here? Like, what the hell? Come on, guys. All right, all right. I, I, I get some. I get some. myself on the line there. No, no, I get some. This is, this is very important. So I, I, anyone, anyone just graduating college listening to the podcast, you know, turn, turn your headphones up at this point because it's very important. I'll only say this once. Do not go to grad school. Under any circumstances, don't go to grad school. This is the worst possible time in the history of any... Oh, uh, sorry, sorry, Matt. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I realize... I mean, my, my situation is a little different, but like... True, yeah, true, no, true. I, I agree with you, for sure. What? Wait, could you elaborate on that more? What do you mean the worst possible time? Because you're racking up a ton of... Oh, sorry, John. Well, no, I mean, Rather's right. I mean, you're, you're, you're racking up a ton of debt. You are... You're getting a degree that is probably not going to help you get a more profitable job, unless unless it's in some technical discipline that requires an advanced degree, like you know med school or law school. And even then, I would really strenuously advise you not to go, because really there there are better ways to get a more fulfilling life experience and go fifty thousand dollars into debt, or a hundred thousand dollars, or two hundred thousand dollars into debt than I by keep, going to. I do kino. <laughs> yeah, I mean seriously, you could you could you could play you could play Kino every Sunday night at the at, you know the Newtown Grill on Mass Ave between Porter Square and Davis Square in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and get more valuable life experiences than you could spending three years writing dissertations on on Dante's Inferno. Just think, just think, just think like if you spent all that time and money at oh I'm echoing from someone uh, if you spent all that time and money at the local pool hall. Uh, you would be an incredible pool shark, and it would make you more money than any three medical degrees you care to name. Also, it would also make you a more entertaining person than any three, you know, med students or law students I've I've met in my life. Because seriously, who would you rather meet? Like, oh, some guy who went to law school or a pool shark? <laughs> All the best lawyers are pool sharks, anyway. 
<laughs> In a manner of speaking, yeah, they are. Anyhow, that's my advice. Don't go, don't go to grad school. Don't go to grad school. Don't do it unless you're married, rather. No, well, it's I, in a way like in a way, my experience is uh, is kind of instructive here, right? Because I'm, you know, uh, there there are loans involved in grad school, though though a lot of it is paid for by the by the school. Um, uh, th- but I'm going into a discipline where the success rate is abysmally low, right? And I know that going into it, and that my. Uh, that my, um, you know, oh, yeah, and it's not, uh, John, don't worry, it doesn't, like, hurt my feelings or something. I realize that from a lot of objective points of view, it's a bad idea. But, like, um, it, uh, uh, you know, but no one, no one has deceived me about that, you know? And I, and I think that, like, uh, the, my decision to go to grad school has a lot to do with a lot of other things than, than like, a fanciful idea that... Career security waits on the other side of it for me. But I think that a lot of people, especially people going into doctoral programs who want to be academics full time, imagine this kind of idyllic academic life um, uh, waiting on the other side for them. And in a way, the academic job market is as bad as the entertainment industry job market. And in some ways, it's worse because it it, uh, isn't honest with its... Uh, it isn't honest with its journeymen about what the career prospects are. Mm. Yeah, I mean, people talk about this field being really being really hard or that field being really hard, so you shouldn't even bother getting into it. But a lot of fields are hard. You know, it's a lot of the stuff out there is tough, right? So just be, if you sidestep one thing, don't think that it's going to get easier just because you didn't do the thing that you wanted to do because you thought it was too difficult. Because maybe the thing you don't want to do is just as difficult, and then now you don't have the advantage of actually wanting to do it. Is that at all in line with what you were saying? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Mark, do you have advice for the grads? Sure. Uh, in spite of what uh, they tell you, do not wear sunscreen. It's a conspiracy <laughs> Catholic Church to, to <laughs> the sales of sunscreen manufacturers. Everybody's free only if they don't wear sunscreen. The cocktail <laughs> girl had sex with Jesus. It's a conspiracy. If I had to give some honest advice, and from, I speak purely from experience in the, you know, what, the five years of life on Earth post-collegiate uh, life, which makes me essentially, uh, if you have to consider, you know, you're a senior in college and you graduate, then you become a freshman in life. Well, you know, I guess I'm like, you know, through the through the end of my freshman year of real life, as it were, which is you're still basically is my advice is that you're still in your, you know, you're going to be in your freshman freshman phase of your real life for a long time. And don't be afraid to fall down hard and then get back up. Are you saying you're going to gain a lot of weight pretty much all the time? (laughs) Well, I mean, that may be that may be that may be (laughs) one part of it. No, be Maybe you're going to hook that. up with a lot of older people. <laughs> uh, hey, that's that. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. And you're going to vomit pretty much on a weekly basis until they put you in your grave. <laughs> a weekly oh, basis. Yeah. Until... Wow, a little bit excessive. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, in other words, a few. Yeah. So, in spite of in spite of the in spite of the weekly vomiting, uh, young graduates, your future is bright. Mm. Very bright, shiny. Yep. The real world is actually better than college. And I maintain that by a wide yeah, margin. But, oh, yeah, but by – and not even by a little, by a lot. Yeah. Anyone who um, tells you the real world isn't better than college is, is 
taking out their chip on their shoulder on you because they're wrong. You're not doing it right if it's not better than college. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll back you up on that, Peter. Uh, yeah, I mean, when people say they miss college, what they miss is living within two blocks of all their friends and, and drinking until six in the morning. I mean, that's yeah. that's what they miss. They don't miss, you know, writing papers no one will ever read or or studying for things that really aren't that important. They They miss that social aspect. And you can replicate that in the real world. Yeah. No, yeah, and you make by your own making by, by making friends with people who live on your block. Yeah, and drinking or until by becoming six in an morning. alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots uh, of alcoholics outside of college. You don't have to be in college to be an alcoholic. <laughs> Just walk down the street in the middle of Cambridge. Oh, God. Here's my Newtown Grill. There's no. Here's mine. There's no one. Uh, to tell you, you you are in a you are in an intricately designed and easily intelligible system of rewards and punishments in in yeah. college. And when you um, when you graduate from college and start to work, all that disappears, and it can feel at moments like life has no meaning because. Uh, there, because praise is not readily available, or uh, censure is neither is censure readily available, and right. so it's it seems like kind of the rug has gotten pulled out from under you because you you lived in uh, an intrinsically moral world before, whether you were good at it or bad at it, at least you knew what the rules were, uh, whether you uh, you know lived up to them, failed to live up to them, or disregarded them entirely. Uh, you could define yourself in reference to them. So, um, you know, so, uh, and a lot of people like uh, right out of college sort of define standards of success based on, uh, based on things that are like the standards of success that there were in school, like promotions and money and, you know, things like this. No, all this is great. It's fantastic to have promotions. It's fantastic to have money. All that stuff is wonderful. But um, it doesn't substitute for happiness. So, you know, make decisions based on the criterion of the, the life that you want to lead. And, uh, you know, and then sort of put your action plan into place based on that rather than based on simply uh you know simply what working up the job ladder because that's what good students do don't worry if you're not on a track right is that yeah. part of what you're, yeah well yeah it is right exactly i think that people get attracted to tracks because that um because because of that sort of uh, trained animal mentality, you know, that, that sort of jumping through hoops mentality that you, I think you get institutionalized by being in school for so many years. And that, you know, when, so when you see hoops, you're, you're like, ah, yes, at least I know what to do with these. And, you know, sort of facing the, the, facing the vast abyss, um, you know, it, like it's okay to bounce around in your twenties. There's this whole, our economy has sort of created this, uh, and it's not a moral failing, right? Our economy has created this sort of second adolescence that happens in your 20s uh, where you kind of like bounce around to a lot of jobs and try different things and date a lot of people. And, um, 
you know, and nothing is nothing is really steady. And it's very new as a social phenomenon. So there are going to be a lot of people, and your parents may be among them, who uh, who look at that and see it as a moral failing. You know, it's the there it's the boomerang generation, or it's the uh, uh, rejuveniles, or you know, there there are a bunch of like you know, pop psychological books about this phenomenon, but it's not, it's that, you know, the really the good jobs are very hard to come by. Here's my, Oh, here's my other, sorry. Here's my other one, other one. Nothing substitutes, nothing substitutes for hard work. Uh, right. That like, you, you're not going to get lucky. You know, that if you do get lucky and get, like, elevated to president of the company, they're going to realize in short order that you don't know what the hell that you're talking about. So nothing substitutes for, like, really putting in the hours uh, at the gym, you know, building up your your muscles in whatever discipline you choose to pursue. Cool. Amen. Do you have any advice for the graduates? If so, uh, give us a call at 20ELOG01. That's 203-285-6401. Or email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. Make sure to say uh, your name or your clever internet pseudonym and tell us where you're from because we're interested. But don't be like Megan from Lombard. Be, uh, you know, we, we don't know where Lombard is. Megan, right back. Where is Lombard? Uh, you know, tell us about Lombard. I'm interested in Lombard. Um... And uh, as always, make sure you visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Deserve. Cocaine! (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving her all she can podcast, Captain! (laughs) Spring break! Spring break.